welcome to this week's teaching from Exchange Church in the heart of Belfast. Brilliant. Open your Bibles. And uh, I've been, there's a theme that God is speaking to us about. And last week I started to say that it's only the spirit of grace that will inherit the promises of God. And I was talking about Caleb or Caleb in Hebrew. And what I said was last week that there are, the Lord gives us these pictures. I'm speaking to you about not so much just, excuse me, where you are now, but what the Lord is always leading you into where he's moving you to. Sometimes, let me tell you why that's important. If you lose, as soon as you lose hope for your life, then all bets are off. Do you get that? What the enemy will do in your life, he'll try to rob you of hope because hope matters. Getting up every day with an expectation of the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God and the promise of God keeps us moving forward. And what happens is you'll find that whenever hope dies in people, then it's very, very difficult and very hard to actually move into anything and see anything of God's goodness and God's promise. Because hope is, is, is critical. And, and I, I believe the Lord is speaking to us about hope for next year, about hope for your life, about hope for this church. And that's why I'm, I'm on this story. I probably am only gonna get through about half of what I wanna get through today because even this morning I went to um, just put another wee bit in and I just felt the Lord say, you just, there's a, pl- a place I want you to stop this morning and then we're gonna pray for people. Is that okay? And we're gonna minister to people in this place this morning because I just felt that... Um, yeah, I just felt that's important. So if, the, if there's something going on in your life, if you're like, we, we wanna minister to you if you're sick, if you're disappointed, if you're anxious, if there's something where you would like to walk out with an impartation of God's power in your life this morning and an encouragement from the Holy Spirit, then just listen now because we wanna, we wanna pray with you and, uh, and do that. But in Numbers 13 too, remember this, I'll just give you a quick, I'll give you a quick um, synopsis from last week. Uh, the Lord said, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, the promised land I'm giving to the people of Israel. So I talked about this whole thing of God gives you something that you walk into, but it is given. You're not fighting or contending for it. Fighting and contention was under the old covenant of the law, but under grace, you believe and you receive the goodness of God. You don't fight for it. From each of their tribes, and then we, I told you that actually Caleb, although it says he's from the tribe of Judah, was not an Israelite by birth, he was a proselyte. He, he came into faith, either him or his father. It's not exactly noted where, um, but what happens is he comes into faith and as he's adopted in, so that the two spies, that it's a picture of Jew and Gentile going into the land of promise that God has and God saying nobody is excluded. And so you can both walk in and inherit together. And it says that even though it says, my servant Caleb, he has a different spirit and has followed me fully and I will bring into the land into which he went and his descendants shall possess it. So it's when you have that spirit and, and the spirit of God's grace was this. Whenever, whenever God says, I have provided what through grace, that's my work, God says. I love you, so I provide for you. I do a finished work for you. What happens is in Caleb's spirit, he looks at the same thing that everyone else looks at and goes, I believe that. All the difficulties are the same for everyone. Do you get that? Caleb didn't have a different set of specs to look through where, where he saw things like with rose-tinted glasses. He saw exactly what everybody else saw. He walked where everybody else walked. He experienced what everybody else experienced. But the difference was not was what was on the outside of him, it was what was on the inside of him. And that was a hope and a faith and a conviction and a trust that whenever God says, this is the land I have given past tense, Caleb's only differentiator was a spirit that went, when grace says, yes, 
I say yes. Only difference. He didn't have less challenges. 10 out of 12, they lap out, right? They tap out and go, not for me, no thank you. And I'm, I was trying to encourage you that, that, I don't know what I was trying to encourage you with last week. It seems, it seems like a long time ago. Anyway, it was a great talk, listen to it. And uh, because of, I don't know what I was encouraging you for, right? I was trying to encourage, yes, that was it. No, it wasn't it at all. All right, so let's get into, can I have my, my Bible, please? Tur- turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter three. All right, so uh, if you don't have your Bibles with you, bring your Bible to church, right? You might, some of you need to dust it down and all the rest of it, but it's really helpful to have your Bible with you. Uh, we probably have these up on as well. So, so at, at this point, what's happened is um, that basically what I've taught over, over the last week, uh, there's a bit where Rahab in, in, in Joshua chapter two hides spies and whatnot. And then uh, we get to Joshua chapter three, and this is the bit where Israel starts to cross the River Jordan. I'm gonna explain it, but there's one, there's one point that I wanna stick on today and I'm gonna to explain exactly what it means because the only way you inherit anything is when you are receiving the grace of Jesus in the presence of Jesus, right? I'm gonna talk about the presence of Jesus today. And I've said it week after week over the last number of weeks and it's a word for you and so I have to keep saying it. Don't be so busy pleading with God, doing life, pleading with God, coming to God. You know, what about this? What about this? What about this? When actually what we need to do is slow ourselves down in the presence of Jesus and sit. Do you get that? You're built for connection with Jesus. I know that life's busy. Heck, be in our house for a day, a week, and you'll see just how crazy it can be. But there's something I think that we are missing that the Lord keeps putting his finger on with me. Every time I get to a point where it, the Bible talks about the presence of Jesus and just being found there, not coming with a list of whatever, or it's just coming to that place where grace is poured out on you and you breathe it in and your heart settles and your spirit settles and your mind settles. And in that place of trust going in that place, he is working, right? He's working in the family, he's working in my work, he's working in my money, he's working in my body. Most of us go, well, Jesus is always with me, right? And that is true. He never leaves you, he never forsakes you, right? But we don't wanna be people who are around Jesus. Do you know what I mean? I'm talking figuratively here, like around him and miss him in the middle. That's the whole point, remember? I've written a book on the Gospel of John, you should go read it. It's all about how people miss Jesus right in front of them. We don't want to do that. And you know, if you're tired and weary, okay, what I do know is that in his presence, there's fullness of joy. So when I don't have fullness of joy in my life, or if I have everything of dysfunction in my life, what do I do? Well, God, you're judging me. No, you're not. God, you're not faithful. He's absolutely faithful. When was the last time I sat and connected and just felt the spirit of the Lord touch my spirit? And in that place go, it's okay, he's got it. I want to, does that make sense? I think for many of you, in that place, you get a perspective and a sense of what's actually going on with you that you'll never get anywhere else. We don't want to be people who know the things of God, but miss him. People who know the sermons about Jesus, but we miss him. People who have heard the promises of Jesus, but we never actually connect with the promise giver. Does that make sense? 
Okay, so let's read. Because in Joshua chapter three, this is what the story is. I love this story. Um, I'm gonna, you know, every time I come to this story, I always promise myself, I go, right, one day I'm gonna just, because there's a book in me on this one, actually. And, uh, but there's, I really just feel like I wanna unpair, layer upon layer, it's amazing. And then I just have to, You've got to top line it, actually, just to get the big points. So that's what we're going to do today. So what happens is here in Joshua chapter three, they are, camp, they are camped in front of difficulty. You ever feel like you're camped in front of difficulty right now? What that means is your view is, might not be terrible, but there's difficulty. You can see difficulty in front of you. Well, this is, this is a word for you. Let's read, we're going to read the whole chapter, all right? Joshua rose early in the morning and they set out from Shittim. Oh, schoolboy giggle. All right, let's get it over and done with. Then they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people. As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you'll, you'll set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go. If you've not passed this way before... And Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Isn't it? Is it j- just keep looking at the Bible and going, what? L- look at the way that the, te- the tense of the way that God talks to his people. He's always talking about your future. Do you get that? He's, he's saying, look, this is what I'm doing. This is what I have done. This is what I am leading you to. He's always lifting your head up to go, tomorrow you're gonna walk into goodness. Do you get it? That's the point that he's saying here. Now, so don't come, but don't come near it. Uh, do, do, do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Uh, there's a sermon all in itself. And Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves. Tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel so that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come near to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall, set, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and the Jebusites, right? <laughs> Oh dear. Behold, the ark of the Lord, uh, the ark of the covenant of the Lord uh, of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore take 12 men from each of the tribes of Israel, from each man a tribe, and where the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, uh, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all of its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan. And those flowing down toward the Sea of Araba, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. 
Now, what, what's, what's interesting, let me just get the picture, because in verses one and two, you see they're camping by the Jordan. Camping simply means they've got to a place in their lives where they're now stationary and sitting still. When they camped, they did life. Okay, this, it's a picture of you and I. Sometimes we, we travel and we journey through life going towards the promises that God has for us. And then there's times where we, where we feel like we're stopped, right? Where we're kind of going through the motions. Like we're still there in the presence of God. You know, we've got God, but we're kind of just in the motions going through stuff. And what happens here is that it says that Joshua uh, rose early in the morning and set out from Shittim and came to the Jordan. Now he and all the children of Israel and lodged there before they crossed. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp. So what's happening here is they've got to a place that what's in front of them, they are utterly incapable of doing anything with. Sickness can be like that for us. Sometimes there's things in our bodies and in our minds where we, when we confront them in the people around us, in our thinking, in our hearts, in our situations and our circumstances, that whatever stands right in front of us, we feel completely powerless to do anything with it. There's nothing here that I can do is gonna change this. You might've tried everything and done everything and spoken to everyone and listened to every preacher on the subject, but as you sit here this morning, you look at it and you go, I can't move this. There's nothing I can do. It's impossible for me. And God tells people there to wait three days at, at the shores of the Jordan River. And what happens is it's interesting that you don't need to be a genius to work out the whole imagery of three days. You're gonna wait for three days and then you're gonna move into something. It's a picture of Jesus and what he does when he, he goes to hell to redeem people, to bring them into freedom. That's why they waited three days. It's a picture, the whole book of Joshua is a picture of Jesus. Yeshua, Jesus, God, Jehovah saves, right? That's what the name means. And so what happens is they wait for three days and then it's interesting to go, why, why did God make them wait? Why was it that the Lord said, sit there, sit there and look at the thing that you can't overcome? That would have been really hard work, wouldn't it? Like, do you know what we tend to do? And this is why we go around in circles, right? We, we tend to look at things that are difficult and go, uh-oh, I'll just go another way, don't we? We avoid difficulty. We're programmed for it, actually. But things that are tough in our lives, some of you have gone around the same mountains for the last 30 years, and it feels like I'm never gonna get around it. Because what happens is when we come to difficulty, we face it and esteem it in our own strength, in our own ability, in our own thinking, in our own humanity, and it's all too big. It's all too much. But what happens is the Lord says, camp there and look at it, but you're gonna look at it again through grace and you're gonna experience a work of grace in the thing that you are looking at that seems absolutely impossible for you. And Many of you, I think there's things in your lives and in our lives where we, we kind of go, I don't want to look at that anymore. Because if I look at it, it either reminds me of difficulty or disappointment. It reminds me of failure. It reminds me of, of my inability. It reminds me of everything that I can't do. And so we turn away. But in turning away, we deny God the opportunity to deliver us across into promise. And God says, sit there for a minute because I'm going to show you how you do this. They must have asked, how are we ever gonna cross this river? All that time the people of Israel saw was this rushing river swollen with spring rains lying in front of them. If you wanna give an idea, all right, this was not like jumping across a wee stream, right, in Tollymore. That's not what it was. If we stood here today, imagine a river that goes from the, our front door to just past, pro probably just touching uh, the far end of St. George's Market. Do you get that? That's how big it was. And it wasn't just like, 
a couple of feet deep. It was spring rain. It was flowing massively quickly. If you had gone into that, you would have been swept away and drowned. So from here to St. George's, sorry for the reference for those of you online, that's about a mile away, a mile and a bit away, right? Just you're looking at that going, there's no flipping chance I'm getting across there. Also, when you think about for families, if I was standing there, it's one thing for me, you know, being a really strong athletic swimmer that I am, right? <laughs> that's a complete lie. Do you know what? I am, I am the world's worst swimmer. I make lots of effort and go vertically down nearly every time. It's a gift. Penny goes, listen, I, do you know what I said to her during the summer? I said, I actually think they could make it like a Channel 5 documentary about me for like this body shape, as, as good as it is, right? It's just, phys- it, it breaks the laws of physics when it comes to water. Because I get into the water and I am just straight down. I do all this and all that and put your head up and just lie back. I just lie back and then my whole body goes down. <laughs> Do all this, get onto your back, you'll be fine. That's a lie, I've tried it. I get on my back and I'm, listen, going down quicker than the Titanic, for goodness sake. Do you know what I mean? Terrible. Anyway, so I'd be looking at that, even with my family. You know, think about the real life of this story. They're standing there with their kids. You might stand with your family today and it might be something in your family where you're going, there's no way we're getting across this. There's no way. I mean, on my own, flip it, but I've got my kids and my family. How, how will me and my family and those who I love get across this? So that's the reality of what they're facing, right? And what was one thing was for sure, right? This was not a few people. This is a few million people with all their possessions, all their kids, all their sheep and donkeys and everything else. And it's like, you know, sometimes we think, well, it might be all right for a few. They might make it. But this was something where nobody's making it. And at a moment like that, this, all the wonderful talk about God's promises, about promised land, about all the deliverance that you've seen in your life, because every one of us have a testimony of God's goodness, don't we? Yeah? If you're not sure about that, you really just need to give yourself a wee slap in Jesus' name. <laughs> of course you do. We all have testimony of God's goodness, don't we? But sometimes, let's be honest, it doesn't matter for that in our humanity when we're faced with something today that seems impossible. Isn't that true? Don't judge yourself for it. It's just what we're like. God doesn't judge us for it either. He says, don't forget all my benefits, not to slap you, but to go when you remember, it builds faith and hope in you that if he did it yesterday, he'll do it today. And so there is this point that the people, you know, the people aren't stupid. It's not like they have, like just naturally looking at this thing. They're just looking and they're going like, it's absolutely impossible. It's absolutely impossible. It's never gonna be for me. And you know what the tantalizing thing is? If we all open these curtains and whatnot, we could probably see St. George's from here. So the really frustrating thing is they could see it, but they couldn't walk into it. Do you see the picture that the Lord is building here? And he's gonna show us one beautiful thing. Show us one beautiful thing. I want to tell you these stories are written so that you might believe that he is the Messiah and that in believing that he's the Messiah, you might have life, John 20. It's like, because of that picture, if there's any bit of your life that matches up to the story today, then God is ministering to you already this morning for you and for your family. And here's what it is. There's a beautiful picture. As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, then you'll set out from that place and follow it. So what's interesting is they start to organize themselves, they're camped. But here's what the Lord says to you. As soon only move 
when you see the ark. Only move then. He doesn't say get yourself organized and ready and get up to the place where you think you need to be. As he goes through and they start to organize themselves, he says, here's the way that you overcome difficulty. Here's the way that you will walk, only way that you're gonna walk into promise. And here's the only way that the impossible becomes possible. Move when you see the ark. That's it. Only move then. As soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. You know, I have this picture when I was sitting thinking about these guys. And because uh, they're all organized in camps, right? And they're all packed up and, you know, and can you imagine the anticipation? Like we're, going, we're walking into promise. We've been delivered from slavery and we're walking into promise. And it says, as soon as you see. And what, what, I just had this, you know, sense of going, like, I want to, like, can you imagine them looking? Can you see him yet? Can you see him yet? Have you seen it yet? Where is it? And as soon as it appears, they go, let's go. It's a picture of us in our lives. It's like the promise of God. What's the promise of God? Do you see the promise of God? Do you see it? And the Lord starts to show you in his word. It encourages you in your spirit, brings you to a church like this that preaches the unmerited favor of Jesus in your life. And he goes, do you see it? Now go. go. That's it. Don't do it with anything else. And let's see what happens. Because this ark, I'm just gonna talk about how God is the protector of his people and the presence of Jesus for us today is the picture of the ark. Because the ark speaks of the presence, the power, uh, and the promise of God to us. I remember it says 2,000 cubits. That's about 1,000 yards in front. What's that, two-thirds of a mile? I don't know. For you old people who do yards and all, it's quite far away, isn't it? For us young folks, we did meters at school, right? And it says here, it says, keep it 1,000 yards in front. What that means is that whatever, whatever way you're pointing, always have Jesus and his work, always have the presence of Jesus in front of you in everything so that you can always see him. That's what it means. Don't be distracted. Don't be looking left. Don't be looking right. Go back to what he said, the Lord said to Joshua in Joshua chapter one. Don't look left. Don't look right. Always in your life, be in a place where Jesus is right in your view. And you're always gonna do what? You're not gonna have the ark going this way and you going this way. You're gonna have the ark in front of you and you're gonna follow that ark. Do you get that? Because it's the only way that impossible becomes possible is Jesus, his finished work, and you putting him right in front of you and going, wherever he goes, I go. And he is gonna lead me right through the difficulty. He's gonna bring me right through to promise. He's gonna look impossibility in the face and say, but through me, all things are possible. But the ark has to stay in front. You can't have the ark behind you. You can't have the ark to the side of you. You've gotta have him right filling your view. So everything you look at needs to be through that lens of the presence of Jesus. His work for you, perfect and complete. Does that make sense? Okay, so let's keep going because shall I explain it to you? Uh, Israel's obviously had, uh, isn't it brilliant that those hostages are, are getting home? Isn't it absolutely phenomenal? You see those kids welling up on Twitter. Uh, not that I'm on Twitter that much or X as it's now called, but it's the only place to get actually unbiased news to be quite frank with you. And um, 
So I was looking at that and seeing these kids come back to their, their families last night. It's amazing. And when you think about like Israel and stuff like that, if I, if I was to ask you, if you look at biblical history and, and whatnot, you go, wh- where's the holiest place on the earth? You would probably say Israel, wouldn't we? That, that's like God's, God's place. And then the holiest place in, Jeru- in, in Israel is Jerusalem, right? And then, well, where's the holiest place in Jerusalem? Then, well, the temple, Obviously, Andrew, that's where the presence of God was. And then, so let's get into the temple. We go to the outer courts first, and then we go right through into the innermost place, into the Holy of Holies, right? So you kind of go, the very presence of God, even under the old, where it was like the holiest place you could find, the place where heaven touches earth, the place where the fullness of heaven is manifest on the earth was in the ark, which sat in the Holy of Holies. Let me explain it to you if you don't know, because this is a picture of Jesus for you today. And this is, what, this is why they built it. I'm gonna teach you this morning, is that all right? In about eight minutes, hopefully. So there were, there were actually seven pieces of furniture in the tabernacle, and the mercy seat was the final piece, and it was set in the most holy place. It was a type of heaven itself. And so God made a covenant. Obviously, we know this. It's a conditional covenant to the children of Israel through Moses. He promised to give good to them, et cetera, et cetera. And, but he warned of despair, punishment, and dispersion if they disobeyed. So a sign of the covenant between God and his people was that he told them to make a box. It was called an ark, and it was to be housed in the inner sanctum in the Holy of Holies in the temple. And then this ark was to be carried with them wherever they went, representing the presence of Jesus. Now, let me tell you about it. It was made of acacia wood. It, it was made of wood, and it was overlaid. The actual box was overlaid with gold. So wood in the Bible always describes humanity. So wood in a picture, in acacia wood particularly, is a picture of our humanity. Man with human affections, human emotions, human sympathies. But then it's overlaid with gold. Gold, as you know, is a picture of righteousness and divinity. So a picture of God and his righteousness. And so you get the humanity of man overlaid with the righteousness of God. Now the lid was different. Now there were actually, there were three things that were set inside the box. And some of you will know this and some of you won't. But there were the stone tablets, which is the demand of the law. And when the law was given to Moses, that it's written on tablets, that sits inside the, the ark. The second thing is a manna pot which is representative of murmuring, complaining, groaning, and moaning against God. And then you've got Aaron's rod, which buds, you know, this one, and that's a picture of rebellion. And so what you have is you've got the law, you've got groaning, complaining, and mumbling, and you've got man's rebellion, and all of that is placed inside the ark. And then over the top of the the ark, there's a lid, which is made of pure gold. It's three feet, nine inches long, two feet, three inches wide. It's hammered into shape in one piece of 100% pure gold. And the reason why it's 100% pure gold and it's, and it's because it was a picture of his work being 100% him and nothing to do with us. This is also called the throne of grace. So in the Bible where you see, let us boldly approach the throne of grace, you'll read that in Hebrews chapter four. This is where it show, this, it's a picture of the lid that sits on top of the ark. Now, what happens here is, is the people would look at it and the, the ever condemning judgment of God against us is, is hidden, it's concealed. And on the day of atonement, blood is sprinkled there, all right? On, on top of what's called that mercy seat. I'm just gonna explain it a little bit more. Now, the, the, the Greek word for mercy seat 
is, is, is an interesting word, halisterion. You read this, and that means propitiation. You know, in Romans 3, there's these words that we read, and we go, what the heck does that mean? Well, in Romans 3, 24, 25, it says, we're justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Last thing is this. There's two cherubim of hammered gold. Should we put up a picture of this? Let's put up a picture if we have one at the back there. That would be helpful. There's two cherubim of hammered gold and they were made of one piece within the mercy seat, okay? They faced each other from opposite ends, looking down towards the center with their wings spread upward, overshadowing the space in between. Now, if you look at that, I did send a picture, guys, so if you can, if you can pull that up, that would be really helpful. So let, let me read a verse for you in Exodus 20, 25, verse 22. It says this, there I will meet with you on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you. So there's a picture here that once a year, that blood was spread on top of the mercy seat. And I'll explain the cherubim in a minute, but God says, I will meet you there, right? In that place, above the mercy seat, right? in this place where the two cherubim have their, their wings outstretched. Let me explain it to you because it's brilliant for your life tomorrow morning. The, the purpose of the cherubs over the, the mercy seat was to symbolize the throne of God. So what happens is you go all the way back to the book of Genesis in Genesis 3, that the cherubim protected and guarded the way into the presence of God, right? They guarded the way to the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. You can read this. And they had a flaming sword. You can read this in, in, in Genesis 3, 24, that flashed backwards and forwards. So they stood as guards, guarding the presence of God, looking out. And they protected the presence of God, it says in the beginning. Now, what happens is that when man sinned, the Lord in judgment drive them out of Eden. And you can read this, the cherubim took their stand as the avengers, right, of God's holiness. So the cherubim guarding the, pointing, guarding the garden, right, when they stood and guarded the presence of God, it was, it was absolutely hopeless then for man to get back into the presence because they stood there. And any attempt, attempt on the part of man to regain eternal life by his own effort to get back into the presence of God was guarded by the cherubim. They're not wee fat, chubby things, right, that just, you know, cuddly with hair and a, a trumpet, right? It's not what it's like, right? But what happens here is the Torah within the ark demanded the death of the offender, but above the Torah, these cherubim no longer guard the approach to life. But what they do is they outstretch their wings and they protect the place of mercy. And when the blood upon the mercy seat is poured out, your rebellion, your moaning, your groaning, your complaining, the, the law that sits underneath that, what is higher than all of that is the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. And what the Lord says is, I'll not meet you where the law is. I'll not meet you at the place of your rebellion. I'll not meet you at your complaining. I will meet you above that in a place of my presence where you are safe and protected by grace. How do we know that? Well, wings and feathers in the Bible are a picture of grace. And so what happens is the thing that, um, where you know, the cherubim are, are now no longer connected with the flaming sword, their faces were turned towards the mercy seat, 
right? Looking down upon the blood that was being shed out. And what happens is they raise their feathers of grace, if you like, of protection. And they are now not looking at you, keeping you out. That The Lord says, I am meeting you in that place. And now they're turned towards you with their, with their wings outstretched to keep you safe under grace. Because the Lord meets you at the place of atonement. Isn't that amazing? That's what it's about. The very presence of God himself in that place. Now you're not kept away. Now you're not kept apart. There's nothing standing keeping you out. At this moment, the Lord says, I want to meet you in that place of atonement because you are protected there. That's why I'm saying the Lord is speaking to us about being found there. Where does the Lord want to meet you? In your busyness and your demand and all that? He goes, no, let me, just meet me in that place where it's an atoning place. It's Jesus and his work for you. It's Jesus and his love for you. It's Jesus and his blood poured out for you. It's Jesus and his protection for you. I'll meet you there, right, is what he says. Now, do you know what's interesting about that? Is that okay? Is that okay? Because what happens is you're covered, wings and feathers, as you know, he'll cover and meet you in that place of grace. And then what he says, if we go back to Joshua chapter one, verse three, it says, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. So you think, well, Andrew, you're dropping back two chapters. Why is that? Because what he said was, it's not every place where you walk and you do whatever will be yours. What he, he gives the instruction in verse three, he already said, you're gonna walk forward and wherever you put your foot, I will give this to you. And then he gives them more information to go, just don't walk wherever you want, do whatever you want, think whatever you want and expect that you're gonna walk across a river a mile wide. He says, make sure that you're always having that place of atonement in front of you. Then wherever you put your foot, you'll be blessed. That's where you're blessed. You're not blessed when you just do your own thing. You're not blessed when you, you know, it's like when, G, when you're led by the promise of Jesus and in the presence of Jesus, that's where you're blessed. I sometimes think we, if we're not careful, as we sit under grace, we become almost like, no, um, there's, a, there's a, a, a zoo we love in, in France called La Palmyre. Been to like loads of times, right? And, um, but there's this bridge you cross over and there's millions of those what a big goldfish, what are those called? I've forgotten their names. What? No need to be rude, I'm only asking a question. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> boom, boom. And what's really interesting, you, you buy, you know what I love? Flipping farms do this as well. Parents are always getting stroked. Do you know what I mean? You go to these places and they go, would you like to buy a bag of carrots for three quid? The feed, I'm going. So basically you're paying me to come in here, now you're paying me to feed your animals, which you'd have to do anyway. Flipping genius, right? Anyway, they do it in this zoo in France anyway. And what's interesting is you, you get these bags of, bags of popcorn and you chuck it out. And like almost out of nowhere, about a million fish appear, right? And they're big brutes, right? These big goldfish, that size, massive. And their mouths are out and they're like grabbing for the popcorn. Right? 
and they're making a, an absolute frenzy. It's like a, like piranhas almost, do you know what I mean? You kind of think if you were to put your hand in, they'd eat your arm off. And, uh, but it's amazing. And then what happens when the goodies go, the fish disappear? Well, you can just see them. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> to the surface, right? <laughs> but you just, you go flipping the aura and then chuck a wee bit of popcorn. Bah, it's like a frenzy. Isn't it interesting? I'm not making a comment on the church, but there's a lot of that around at times. Just fire out, you know, the fire, the, you know, hear some promise. But, oh, love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. But it's like, actually, that's fine for a time, isn't it? But actually, what the Lord is speaking to you is for 2024, I am leading you. I've already, think about this for your life. He's already looked at your situation, already looked at your family, already looked at your body, already looked at your mind, already looked at your place of work. He's looked at your ministry and he has spoken blessing, increase, favor, prosperity, health, wholeness over you all. Every single one of you. Some of you don't believe it. Look at your faces right? He's already done it. I have given you this land. And all he says to you is, I will meet you. See the place where I meet you, the atoning work of Jesus in his grace, always have had in front of you. Do you know why that is? Because where grace leads, it always brings life. It doesn't ever really, because I imagine, because I'm going to say, I'm going to stop here. Um, I'll finish off next week, right? Because when the, the priests take the ark and they start to stand in the water, I can imagine lots of people going, you must be joking me. Grace says, go there. Yeah, you're all right. Do you know why? My feet are getting wet. I'm never making it to flipping Central Station, never mind St. George's. I can't swim. And Grace says, go there. And what we do is we go, now nah, you're all right. But what did the Lord say? As soon as you see the promise, the ark of God, as soon as you see Jesus, go. And we go, nah, don't want my toes getting wet. Because when my toes get wet, it feels like this ain't gonna work. When my toes get wet, it feels like I better do this myself because I know better. But you know what? You've been going around the wilderness for 40 years. It doesn't matter. I still know better. Do you know what some people like just love to prove themselves wrong? Don't they? Even though they know they're wrong, they'll argue and still want to stay wrong. Bonkers. Don't they? How's it worked for you so far? Well, not really. But you know what? I'll just keep, just keep going. <laughs> you think, all right, take a step back. What is the Lord saying? The Lord saying, I'll meet you in the place of my presence. I honestly feel that for, it's so counterintuitive because it's only then when the presence of Jesus goes before you does the impossible become possible. It's the only place. It's the only way. There's no other way. It's only through the presence of Jesus. Only being found in that place where the thing that consumes your view is Jesus and his love for me. Jesus and his work for me. I'm keeping that in front of me and I'm always walking towards that. I'm keeping him in my view. I'm keeping his work in my view. And you know what? Even if I keep him in my view, my, my toes are gonna get wet, but it doesn't matter. The impossible is becoming possible when he's in front of me, going before me.
Amen.